Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Raziel. I'm your host to this show with all these amazing, wonderful Olympic athletes and hopefuls. And we talk about their story and path to the games today. We have Olympian Joanne Reed of USA Biathlon. Very interesting story. Joanne started in cross-country skiing. Her mother is an Olympic bronze medalist. Her uncle is a five-time gold medalist, uh, both in speed skating. Joanne started in cross-country skiing, didn't really like it so much. And um, there's a little interesting story on how she got into biathlon, and I'll just save that for the interview. But I hope you guys enjoy this one. Very cool. Joanne is very real, very honest, and we always love that. Um, So guys, enjoy this one more time. Joanne Reed, USA Biathlon. All right, today, Olympian Joanne Reed, USA Biathlon. Master, I'm sorry. Master Joanne Reed, USA Biathlon, born June 28, 1992 in Madison, Wisconsin. She grew up out in Palo Alto, California, and lives currently in Grand Junction, Colorado, not too far from Boulder, it sounds like. Took up biathlon in 2015. So yeah, three years later, she then made the Olympics. Definitely want to talk about that. Before that, she was cross-country skier, where she skied at the University of Colorado, and this is where the master part comes in. She graduated in 2013 with a degree in applied mathematics, and then in 17 with a master's degree in engineering. Um, Pretty impressive. Also, daughter of Beth Hyden, an Olympic bronze medalist in speed skating, and niece of Eric Hyden, a five-time gold medalist in speed skating. And as I said, she's an Olympian attending the 2018 Games in Pyeongchang. Joanne, thanks for hanging out with us today. Hi. Thank you. No problem. So that was kind of a, I don't know, let's call it a boring introduction. If you don't mind, I guess, taking us back all the way to June 28th, 1992-ish. And uh, I guess you can start the story there if you don't mind. Yeah, I remember that day um, quite it was, distinctly. It was probably um, a beautiful day, right? I hear Madison, <laughs> summer in Madison, I hear, is absolutely gorgeous. Um, was born in Madison, didn't live there. Um, that's my mom's home, my uncle's home. Um, they're quite famous there. Grew up in uh, the Bay Area of California, which, as everyone knows, is a winter sport mecca. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Actually, basically like the promised land. Um, Went to school out in Colorado. Thought I could um, see some snow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure you saw a little bit of snow. I've been to Colorado <laughs> once. Um, I drove through the mountains and it was gorgeous. And then I realized, like after the mountains, there really wasn't much there. So I guess it was kind of sold a little, uh, you know, little snake oil on that side. But the mountains are gorgeous, <laughs> and I absolutely enjoyed it. So driving through was was fantastic. So obviously, as you said, your mom uh, uh, grew up in Madison. Or, or at least lived in Madison, got pretty famous there. How how did you take up cross-country skiing in Palo Alto? Is that's where you grew up? I mean, like at some point you had to have been like, yeah, I want to try this out, right? Um, so actually my mom also cross-country skied for the University of Vermont and won an NCAA title in cross-country skiing. And All right. In fact, it was exactly three decades apart that we won our NCAA titles. That's super cool. Skiing. Random and cool, right? Super cool. um, so she was, she was pretty into it. She liked it. Um, she wanted her kids to get into it because I think a lot of sports, when you take your children to soccer, you drop them off, they do soccer, you don't get to do it. You know, you drop them off at swimming, they're in the pool, you pick them back up again, but cross country skiing, you get out there, you can do it yourself. So, um, that's sort of how me and my brothers ended up in it and didn't expect to go as far as I did, but, um, but it kind of worked out. that's the path I took (laughs) that's how it worked out that is pretty cool so um did she ever try and get you into speed skating at all I mean your lineage is screams it so I'm kind of curious if that's something you took up at a young age as well 
So I actually, I did live in Miles when I was six and seven and my dad, who was a professor, um, was on sabbatical. Um, and I, I think we did try it once. I can't remember more than once. And, um, well, as you can imagine, it's, it's, it's hard to be a speed skater in the Bay Area of California. And mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think my mom, who is very quiet and gentle and um, actually just a really sweet person all around, didn't really want her children in a sport in which there is such a large, what she probably considered a shadow cast, you mm-hmm. know, us to be free to do our own thing, decide what we wanted to do and not always, you know, have this expectation of what they reached and what we did or didn't reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that being difficult. Let's use that word difficult. I could think that that's a little, little much. And yeah, great word usage shadow a hundred percent. I could understand how that might, might come across a little bit. So that's very nice of her. And I really like that. So you got into cross country skiing, you went out to university of Colorado, as you said, you won a title there three decades apart. That is pretty, pretty impressive. I, I always love when that kind of stuff works out. But so when, when did you realize like cross country skiing might be something not that you wanted to do, but like actually could start to really, I don't know, make your own path, I guess. Is that a way to say it? Um, I would say it, it just kind of happened to me. Actually, I was skiing as a, as a junior racer. Um, I had a couple of junior national titles. I was just kind of going up through the pipeline and um, I was early enough in school, I was 16 when I graduated high school and I was 17 when I went to college that I, you know, when you're that young, you don't always have to stop to think. So I didn't, um, University of Colorado offered me a full ride and I said, great free school and off I went. And, um, I skied for them for four years, graduated before I could enter a bar. Yeah. And then I had my skiing crisis and I actually retired, thought I wasn't going to do any more sports. And, um, that's when I stumbled upon biathlon. Mm-hmm. So what happened, if you don't mind? Um, well, I took a year off from cross-country skiing. Then I came back for one year because there are these races you can do when you're still under the age of 23. And I thought, it's in Kazakhstan. Who doesn't want to go to Kazakhstan? That's pretty weird and random. So I did that. It was pretty weird and random. And then that really solidified my, okay, I don't want to do this as a career. I don't want to do this as a sport. I don't, I don't want to keep doing this at all. And um, about this same time, there were this series of events that happened. Um, and, and one of them was that I had stayed in, this, in, in these races with these family friends. And they were super in the biathlon. And, um, you know, we were at the national championships for cross-country skiing, but they're watching biathlon. And I, I had never seen a biathlon race at that point, And I would sit there and watch it with them. And I thought it was pretty cool. And that was the first time I've ever seen it. And I knew what it was. All cross-country skiers know what it is because it's, it's kind of a sister sport in a way. Um, but I'd never seen it. And I thought it was sweet. And um, there are aspects of it that played to my strengths. You don't have short sprint races in biathlon and you don't do one of the uh, techniques that manifest cross-country skiing, which I don't prefer to do. So it was already this kind of, you know, nagging thought in my head. And then my grandfather, who had um, early onset Alzheimer's, had decided to acquire a biathlon rifle at the very young age of, you know, 72 or something. And um, anyway. If you want it, man, just buy it, right? If you want to go for it. Just go Um, for it. He has 
always been a badass. Anyway, so firearms, dementia, that was repossessed by my mother and, you know, the only elite cross-country skier in my family was me. So this biathlon rifle passed to me. So I had the means to do it. I had, you know, no interest in continuing what I was doing. I had a background in a similar sport and then um, U.S. Biathlon reached out to me and said, will you come and fly here like Placid to the Olympic Training Center and try out this sport? And I said, yes. And here I am now. That is pretty darn cool. So I guess tell if, if you don't mind for, for me, um, but also maybe, you know, a few of the people listening, what exactly is biathlon? Tell it to me like um, some five-year-old, I guess. Okay. So biathlon combines the sports of cross-country skiing and rifle marksmanship shooting and a 22 long rifle and what we do is there's different ways in which this takes shape a little longer little different penalties for missed shots but basically you go out you ski a lap as hard as you can you shoot five shots whatever you miss you pay a price for you either you ski a little longer a little bit of time gets added to your total time you ski another lap you shoot another five shots um, generally different position you laid down the first time you stood up the next time you pay a penalty for whatever you missed then you ski another lap and you're done and whoever has you know finished it in the shortest amount of time including the extra penalties you had to ski wins easy enough I always love watching it I didn't know you had to do one standing and one lying down I didn't know that but I always love I love what I mean I remember watching it this past February and I just thought it was so cool that everyone you kind of everyone hold their breath and then they shoot and then they start breathing again they breathe again and then everyone hold their breath and so I just thought that that was really interesting so I guess there's a lot inside the uh, the technique aspect of it that is that is pretty interesting. But I mean, I remember watching you on TV. So I think it's pretty cool that now I get to talk to you one on one and just, you know, click the record button and ask you a couple questions. So I appreciate, uh, appreciate you hanging out. So you were kind of talking about it before, and maybe you can go a little deeper into it now, kind of the aspects of cross country skiing versus biathlon. How much shorter are the races? Uh, you said there's a sprint aspect that you don't have to worry about anymore. Or you do. Could you, I guess, just kind of dive into how it was so easy for you to take up this sport and three years later, represent our country in the olympic games because something tells me it's not that easy you might just be really really good at it um i would say that the speed that i got to international competition was probably unprecedented um doesn't mean you can't do it Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's so cross-country skiing has um two parts to it there's a technique that's a lot like running and there's a technique that's a lot more like rollerblading and um when that that rollerblading style technique more like you know ice skating as well was developed actually fairly late in the in the timeline of cross-country skiing and so when that happened it was so much faster that they had to decide are we going to keep this this old technique at all and cross-country just skiing decided yes we're going to keep it and we're going to separate the races and you can do you do some of these and some of these and you do different lengths you do really short lengths and you do really long lengths and then they're all over the map because that's their sport but biathlon decided no it's too complicated we can't keep in different races of different techniques and then also have different shootings and different lengths so we're just going to switch it entirely over so they don't do any of what's called the classic technique which is more like running they only do the skating technique and um so I was 
I, I vastly preferred that one. I didn't really like the classic ski, so that was great. I'm not a good sprinter. Um, and biathlon doesn't do sprints, which is... Well, one second. Not a good sprinter, but you did win an NCAA title. So <laughs> you're clearly not that bad at it. But anyway, I'm sorry for cutting you off, Master. Please continue. Actually, collar skiing doesn't incorporate uh, the sprint race. Oh, really? Okay. A 1K, and then it's a one-kilometer preliminary event. It gives you a seed in, in the top 30. If you make the top 30, then it goes into heats. And the heats are six-person mass start elimination rounds. And they're mm-hmm. really fun to watch. Um, I don't think they're fun to ski. Some people do. Um, and College Game didn't do that. They did only a 5K and a 15K. Oh, I and, apologize. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries. Um, so I won the 15K, which is actually a distance that we do in the bathroom. It's our mm-hmm. longest race for women. We do a 15K individual, and it's the most people consider it the hardest race with the greatest opportunity because for every shot you miss you're awarded a minute penalty which is a huge fraction of time in a race that lasts you know 45 minutes so it's a it's a different style of race because it's not quite as fast paced as the rest and you're very much in your own world um it's sort of appropriately named, but sort of confusingly named in that it's called the individual and you start an individual start, which is when somebody starts every 30 seconds. So you don't know where you are in the race. You don't know who missed what. You have no idea what's going on. You cross the finish line. You're like, oh, well. How did I do today? <laughs> um, so it's, it's actually, that was the race I did best in at the Olympics because it's so, you know, the door is always open. If mm-hmm. you hit all your targets and you don't ski particularly fast but the next person missed five targets that's five minutes slower you mm-hmm. can ski and still beat them so it's a it's a really wild race it's not as fun to watch um we definitely don't pull the big crowds for that one but um it's 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 what a lot of people start out doing um their their top races in because there's just you know so much chaos and so many mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that is crazy. And so I guess one thing, like clearly you were used to racing that length. So the endurance was there. So it sounds like what you needed most was to shoot the rifle well. And was that something that you grew up doing? Or was this something that you just were like, oh, grandpa, <laughs> gonna have to take that away. Let it, Give me that. Let me try it out. So like, like how did you, was that like, I assume again, the, the endurance aspect you, you held over and, and kind of at least uh, rolled over into it. And how much time did you then spend on, on practicing the other side, arguably the more important side of, you know, specifically that race? Uh, every, all the time I had, which I was trying to finish my master's at the time. So it wasn't an overwhelming amount, but whatever I had, um, it's, you know, it's an interesting thing because you're trying to balance two sports that are totally unrelated and actually detract from each other. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a, you have a physical sport and then you have a mental sport and the harder you push the physical side, the worse you do in the mental sport. So it's learning to do an entirely different race style and an entirely different thing interwoven with something you've never done before. Um, or I had never done before. Mm-hmm. I don't come from a shooting background. I don't own another firearm. I don't, no, I didn't shoot any guns mm-hmm. before this. Um, but what they told me was that you have no bad habits. So we don't, you don't have to unlearn anything. Silver so lining. There we, we go. We teach you from the very beginning to the excellent. I'm not sure that worked out, but um, they at least, you know, I didn't have to unlearn anything. And um, 
we had some good coaches and here I am now. Here you are now hanging out with me on like what, 12 <laughs> o'clock on a, on a Thursday. So not too bad. Not too bad. I mean, there's, there's, there are absolutely worse places you could be. Let's just both agree on that and we'll, uh, we'll move on. Um, so what, like, I, did you have any reservations again, never shooting a gun before, but they like, how did, so, so actually let me take a step back. Why did they call you? I guess like, they're, like, did they know you got this gun? And they're like, oh, someone has a gun and can race the 15K. Like, let's just teach her how to shoot. Like, how, how does that, like, when you were called, was it completely out of the blue? Did you try a couple of races up to this point? Like, I need to know a little bit more about that side. The short answer is yes. If there are women who can ski really fast and it looks like they don't wish to continue in cross-country skiing, we absolutely go in there and snipe them if we can. Um, because uh-huh. in most European countries – Biathlon is the really popular sport. So we're the most popular winter sport in Europe and yay. Uh, Russia. Yay us. Woohoo. Um, so the, over there, if you're good enough to do biathlon, you do biathlon. If you aren't good enough, you do cross-country skiing. And mm-hmm. here there's this um, rumor. Legend says that if you aren't good enough to do cross-country skiing, then you do biathlon, which is pretty dang unfair. Um, it's, I, think, I think there's more of a personality aspect mm-hmm. going on. But um, so... They had heard of me, heard I was interested, heard I had this rifle, and, and I, you know, was just trying to figure out who do I talk to because I wish to get from here in Boulder to this race. And you, when you get to a race, you have to be given a target so you can shoot at it, so you can like move your sights around. And I would like one of those targets, and I don't know how to get one. And that's basically where I was at. Like I had absolutely no idea, or like mm-hmm. how you, you like were invited to a mat. Do I have to be invited to the mat to shoot on it? You know, I knew nothing, absolutely nothing. So what I, my mom helped me reach out to some people in Vermont who knew some people who knew some people and somewhere in this trickling mm-hmm. in pipeline, they reached out to me and said, maybe instead of trying to figure this out via email, you can come here to our Olympic training center where United States Biathlon is based and we can teach it to you. And I thought, Hey, that's probably a better idea. So yeah. That's yeah, what I did. <laughs> yeah, probably supervision uh, with something like that. Maybe the first couple of times you do it can't really hurt, right? <laughs> so that's very important. And clearly, again, it worked out. Um, I know you're super humble, but again, you're one of the best in the country at something. I think that that is super, super cool. So one thing, uh, you brought up your mom again, and obviously she was pretty in the know. Um, her and her brother, I'm assuming it seems like both are both pretty good, relatively good at speed skating back in the day. So was was that ever one of those like I'm assuming and and you said it before they didn't pressure you into doing something but was that always kind of a dream of yours like always you know every kid wants to be their parent like I've always wanted to be like my dad my you know my my cousins always wanted to be like their mom kind of thing like was that ever something like you always wanted to go to the Olympics because or was that kind of just how it happened I would, I would definitely put myself in the second camp, much of that's how it happened. I mean, I never intended to be a biathlete whatsoever, and it just sort of happened to me. And I love it. I love it way more than I ever loved skiing. Um, and also, my mom had won a world championship title in not one, but two sports before the age of 20. Wow. So by the time I even stopped to consider everything, you know, I was already behind. Like, I couldn't possibly yeah, have it. Yeah. And at that point, you're like, well, you know. We'll just, cool. I'll just be here doing what I do. And um, <laughs> it, it was worked. really fun actually to have her. She came to Pyeongchang 
mm-hmm. and and watched me, and that was really great. That is super cool. Also watched some speed skating together. I'm sure she, yeah, I'm I'm sure she dabbled <laughs> in that in, in that arena as well. But that, I think that's really cool. And yeah, again, you know, as you said, your mom never pressured you. Like she didn't even. It doesn't even sound like she wanted you to try speed skating. But it, you know, thankfully, or or as the universe would have it you ended up finding a sport that is pretty, um, pretty Olympic based, pretty popular there. And you did get the opportunity to do that. So now it's a lineage now, man, do I feel bad for your kids? Let's just say that. (laughs) Um, but, uh, so you were at the games. Let's talk about that a little bit first, if you don't mind actually explaining how the qualification process works, um, in specifically in your sport. So that again, the audience can just get a little bit better understanding of what you had to go through before you even got there. Sure. So in, um, so we're aiming at February of 2018, obviously. So in December 2017, we had a series of four races, and they were in Minnesota. And out of those, the two best races were taken, and it's by this percentage back system based on how far ahead the winner is and then an average of the top three. And um, So you take this percent back system, and whoever has the best two races um, – is the winner and they get to go to the next stage for free. And then the next, I think it's four people are invited men and men and women. And they go to, well, me as well. We all went to these races. Um, was it, it was two or three in Slovenia and three in Germany. So we, we jumped into this, um, competition series for biathlon called the, the IBU cup, the international biathlon union cup. And, um, um, we, we always send a team to these races every year, but this year this was used as our second stage of Olympic trials. So the four of us um, all competed, and that was also the best two, I think, but it may have been three, and I have already forgotten um, races through January, and it was really insane because we all, you know, everyone flew in on like, January 2nd and we were racing already on January maybe 6th in Slovenia and then on January 9th we drove to Germany and then we had two more races and a a time trial that US Biathlon just put on for us so we could finish our Olympic trials and then my teammate Emily and I had to get in the van that day and drive to the World Cup in Germany to do a relay for our our World Cup team which is the, the, the tier above the IBU Cup and and then, and then from there, like one day later, we drove to Italy to do those races in Italy on the World Cup. And I think at that point, Emily and I had like no idea where our socks were because, you know, we had been throwing stuff in bags and throwing stuff out of bags and teams were being named and we didn't know where our skis were. And it was like, it just totally nuts. So by the time we finished this block of races, some of which were Olympic trials and some of which weren't Olympic trials, we had forgotten our own names and I think that's really when it processed, not even when the team naming was done, but when we finished all of the races that we had to do and got to all the places that we had to get to because our team needed to start these relays, our team needed to start these people. And we were like, and, um, so when I think of Olympic trials, I just think of like packing my bag and like going places and packing my bag and going places. And I don't even think about the races particularly much because for me, the stressor there was all this trying to get where I had to be in the time that I had to get there. And you did it. So that's, <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds absolutely insane. Um, I guess at what point were you told like, Hey, you did it. So for us, um, we were told at the end of the, the five races that we competed in. And, and it was fairly obvious if you 
can do the math on it, which I can, but it's a fairly complicated problem. So I knew already. Applied mathematics. I'm sure, I'm sure you got it just fine. Let's, let's be honest here. Okay. Humble, but let's be honest. I actually knew before I even started the last race that I had made it, um, which is good because I didn't end up doing particularly well in the last race. Or it was bad because I already knew, so I didn't do yeah, particularly so well. You never know yeah. what happened there. So we'll never, ever know. <laughs> there was actually there a series of qualifications before that, actually. So my teammate Susan qualified at World Champs of the previous year in February 2017 based on a, um, a, a top six or eight at world championships. So she was mm. pre-qualified. And then my teammate Claire qualified at the end of this, this world cup race block. They wouldn't, they name one woman and one man. So actually we had two women on our team and two men at that point, And we were competing for the last two starting spots, but there was also an alternate going. And um, um, it wasn't even necessarily that the alternate was the alternate and wouldn't race. It was more that they were taking three people from there to the Olympic Games. So it was three out of four people, which wow. is really weird. So there, you know, there's someone left behind at yeah, that point, which I, I think is really rugged in a way. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it wasn't, we had, this was like the second tier of Olympic trials where you had to qualify for the second tier mm-hmm. anyway. So it wasn't totally that there was only one person left, but at that point, I'm sure that's what she felt like. And that must have been so rough on her. And I feel for her quite strongly. Oh that. my gosh. Yeah. That's awful. I mean, the four of you are in this you know, crazy amount of races and then travel and everything and then it's kind of one person is so sorry like that is super super unfortunate so i guess that actually brings up a good question too i mean you're friends with these people you're teammates with these people like you're all on the same side and then it comes down to something like this where you're in in fierce competition because i'm sure you wanted to go to the olympics just as much if not more than than the next girl so what is that dynamic like what that what's that relationship like understanding like once we step out onto the track, like we're not, it's not that you're not friends. It's just, you're willing to do whatever it takes. You know, I, I, well, firstly, it sucks. Um, yeah, absolutely. Secondly, I would not say I was willing to do whatever it takes. We have this sort of running joke that, you know, if you want to like screw over the other people, you, you go to the rifle rack and you, you click their sights down like 20 clicks, which means that they, they're shooting at the wrong place. And none of us would obviously ever do that. And that also sounds like nobody's ever done it. Yeah, that sounds like cheating too, right? You know, I have actually looked up the rules on that. Interesting. Because right. it was never relevant. But there's this, you know. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> there's a, that feeling of like, would I do anything? No, no, definitely not. And And those are you know, I, I respect those women and, and I love them very much. And if that was their year to shine and that had a need, I would have to go home. I, you know, I like to think I would have been really, really proud of them as long as I had actually gone out there and, and, and done mm-hmm. my best and done well. Um, I think there's obviously totally different parts of that. Like maybe you fell and you broke your leg and that's a, that's a totally different planet, but I think you can be proud of yourself if you, you did the best you could and you competed the best you could and you just were not the best person for, to fulfill those, those spots. Yeah. Cause it, in, in, you know, biathlon, it sounds like it's pretty much you against the clock more than anything. It's not really mm-hmm. you. It's, it's you against yourself, especially on the mental side um, and on the physical side. So, I mean, if you hit your shots and you race your race, 
if you're not one of the best, you're not one of the best. It's unfortunate. Um, but if you don't go out there and do your best, obviously there, there, you can, you can be disappointed, but Hey, you made it. You did it. So tell us about the games. What was it like? What was opening ceremonies like the emotions? Like when did it finally hit you that like you were at the Olympics representing, you know, the stars and stripes? Um, what I've heard from a lot of people is that you feel like you're a member of the United States Olympic team on the day you get the, you know, three duffel bags of Olympic team gear. (laughs) Um, I think for me, it, it, it set in more slowly than in any single instant. Um, actually, actually the real answer to your question is how did the Olympics feel? It was, it was windy and cold. Mm. <laughs> but I, that. We, I think we had a really interesting situation there actually. So we're this, we're a really big sport in Europe and, and people come to our, our world cup, which is, which is the, the race season that we do. Uh, on an, on a normal year, and we even do it during Olympic years. So we have um, a ten race weeks, and and we we travel across Europe, and and into Russia, and we compete in those places, and we and we get these crowds of forty thousand people a day that come that come to watch us. So we're used to this big stage, this you know just just loud noise and people going nuts and and trying to shoot under intense pressure and sound and lights and and there's like live bands and stuff and I mean it, it's like totally off the rail sometimes and then we get here to Korea, which is not a it's not a biathlon mecca. private citizens aren't allowed to own guns, so it, you know they don't really have a strong bathroom presence um all our rifles are stuffed in lockers because we're not allowed to touch them unless Mm -hmm. we're competing and and there's there's this there's a little stadium but it only holds two thousand people that was the max hold of this stadium so we almost went from you know what we usually do it it kind of felt like i was at a high school Mm -hmm. varsity track meet that's how like quiet it felt in, in contrast, you know, big smart sport, small team. And all of a sudden we were a huge medal winning team, but a tiny sport. And that almost took pressure off because instead of a, a yelling crowd, I, I could like look up there and Oh, it's my mom. <laughs> hey mom. Hey. And, and the fact that I can see her in the stands is already absurd because there were so few people in the mm-hmm. stands. I could see my mom. And there were there was actually no way for spectators to get out on the course, which is really different from where we're usually at, where people line the whole course and they cheer for you. And especially on big climbs, you get these big walls of sound. So we would, you know, go out into the course in the Winter Olympic Games and it would be dead silent. And then like, you know, four minutes and there's your coach with an extra pole in case you break yours. And he'd be like, go. And then you'd you'd be dead silent again. That is weird. Totally wacky. And it was nighttime. So it was also really dark. So you're kind of just like hurtling through the dark woods on your own. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the dark. I'll be honest about that. <laughs> I, I, I don't care what people think. It's not my favorite place to be, but that that is very interesting. I mean, it makes sense from the, you know, obviously in South Korea, as you said, it's not really a mecca for biathlon, but even with the amount of people that travel there, you would assume that they would understand, like, Europe's not that far. I mean, it's a plane ride, but there's going to be a lot of people f- from those countries 
especially Russia too. I mean, there, there's going to be a lot of people from those countries coming to see and, and watch. So um, that's interesting that they didn't kind of build that up a little bit more. And also, I'll be honest, I didn't realize 40,000 people come out to see a, a biathlon race. I think that's super cool. I know, as you said, it's one of the bigger sports in, in Europe. So as you said, it kind of helped you relax a little bit more, but did the added fact of, hey, this is the Olympics, did that ever kind of either make your heart race a little bit extra? Did that do anything knowing like that's the biggest stage um, essentially, at least viewership wise around the world that you're probably going to be on at some point? You know, I, I would speak again to the point that I think we have more television viewers in regular season than we really? did at the Olympics, most likely. Um, that's super cool. But there is something about just the familiarity of, of being there on the, on that course, um, which we had been to the year before. And, and a biathlon range is always the same. There's 30 points and 30 mats and they're so far apart and they're always the same height and it always looks the same. And there's something sort of reassuring about that. And, and the fact that you don't just show up and see all these, these scary, foreigners that you've never seen before and and people you have to compete against those are the same people you've seen every week all year so in a, in a strange sense that almost felt more like my family and team than team usa which was a bunch of people i'd never met mm -hmm. in instead of all these people that i had been traveling with all year and i know them really well and i see them all the time and we sort of are in a weird traveling circus situation together and um so that actually calms you down more than you think because it's, it's the familiar. It's the mm -hmm. sense of the familiar. It's just, like I said, same 30 targets, same 30 people shooting at them. So yes, it was different in, in that there is so much media spotlight from America surrounding us at this moment and people wanting to talk to us and people in the media zone that would not care in the slightest at, at any other point in, in time. But in the actual moment of competition and in, in our shooting and our skiing and in our training and just hanging out, it was, you know, that's our biathlon family and, and, and we know them and we see them and there was a lot of comfort in that. That is interesting. And you're the, the first person, honestly, to kind of bring that up over the, I don't know, 40 interviews, 50 interviews I've done. Um, that's really interesting. And there's been other sports like ski jumping, which again is way bigger in Europe than it is here. Um, but even that point wasn't brought up. So I really, um, I think that's, that's very interesting. I like that a lot. That, that definitely, as you said, familiarity probably calms your nerves. It's, if anything, it was, it was a weird event considering that you get more viewership in person and on TV, it sounds like in just a normal season. Um, so it almost sounds like the Olympics are kind of a formality, almost kind of just a spectacle event, um, more so than anything. So how, how do you still, how do you feel about them then? Like considering that it's not really, and I don't want to say not important, but not really as big almost as it sounds like, does it still resonate with you? And does that still, does it still have the same impact um, knowing that you went to the Olympics? I mean, it's, it's a really cool experience and it will be probably something that opens doors for me my entire life. Um, I'm sure I wouldn't be on, on this if, if I didn't make the Olympic team. Um, so it, it gives me and, and my teammates that want a stronger voice to, to, you know, do things in the world, I guess you could say. 
but for me personally, that isn't my greatest achievement. And I, I feel somewhat akin to saying that, you know, prom night was my greatest night. It kind of like the Olympics is my greatest achievement. If, if that was all you wanted from your life, then surely when you got there, you wouldn't have even done well. Like, I, I don't think even the people who say that all they want is to make the Olympics, I don't think that's all they want. I think they want to go there and they want to do well because they've been training to do well. So to, to be there at, at, a, at a huge race and make it is one thing, but to actually get to do what you practice doing and, and validate all your work in some way is what's important. And for each person, I think that validation comes in a different way. So maybe you're validated just by, you got the pajamas, great, you did it. Or maybe you just want to compete there and you did it. And some people, they're not going to validate their hard work until they're, they got their own medal around their neck, you know, and that's the highest achievement they could possibly imagine. I think for me, what I wanted only was to achieve excellence in whatever it was I was trying to do, whether that was going to college or it was getting my degree and um, my master's degree or whether it was biathlon I just wanted to do as best I could with with all the the tools I had and see how far that took me and it happened to be this um, the winter olympics but if it wasn't that I I would have been just as content with my own self mm -hmm. so then what what would you consider your biggest achievement You know, that's interesting. I, I think that's almost like asking someone, what was your favorite meal? Or, uh, I or went you... to a Brazilian steakhouse once and it was amazing. So <laughs> I got mine. I don't know about you. But... <laughs> well, there's, you know, I, I was out really late and I was really hungry and I had this, this mm. nasty slice of pizza and there it was amazing, go. but in any other context, it wouldn't have yeah. been delicious. Totally understand. And then there's, I had an amazing meal because I went to a Brazilian steakhouse and all of the money I paid was worth the experience and it was delicious. So there, there are different parts of your life that are being fulfilled. So for me, I, I don't know that my greatest achievement is, is singular. You know, there is right now my highest sports achievement is the Olympics, but probably the moment I felt the strongest, like my work had done something was when I won NCAAs um, in college because I had been, trying so hard to fight for my team in that way. And I bet in biathlon, I will have a moment like that with my team for my team, but we aren't quite there yet. And I want to say, I don't, I don't think it was the Olympics. It was cool for sure, mm -hmm. but it wasn't the moment that I really felt like I had mm -hmm. done everything I could do. Interesting. I love it. But I'll cross my fingers that you do get that moment with your team. <laughs> um, so just a couple more questions. Um, one, um, we spoke about it a little bit, and I usually ask just about every guest, just the, the monetary aspects of your sport specifically, um, being on Team USA, going to the Olympics, all that. I mean, we know you got a bunch of swag. We already talked about that, three duffel bags of clothes. That's not that bad. Um, but kind of, I guess, the, the uh, on a serious note, kind of what do you receive in support? How does that work? What is that like? And, and I mean, obviously, you went to college, graduated, and got your master's, so clearly it sounds like there is a post-career career almost but I guess you know from from your perspective kind of what is that like and and how maybe could that be changed or or improved upon so the um U.S. Biathlon is under 
the United States Olympic Committee umbrella, we're part of the USOC supported sports. Um, not all sports are like skiing actually has its own um, um, umbrella. So they fund their athletes in a different way, but we're under the USOC umbrella. So we have certain qualification criteria that get you to uh, certain things. And most of us are offered free room and board at the Olympic training center in Lake Placid. And you know, that's, that's a pretty good starting point. Um, no rent, no utilities, no, no food costs if you choose mm -hmm. to live there. And then from there you can qualify for, for higher tier things. And, um, so some of my teammates, they make $3,000 a year from the U S Olympic committee. The next tier is $600 a month, which is what I made. And the next tier is, 1200 a month and the next is two thousand dollars a month so that's not very much money and that's all we get from the usoc though they do they are a main sponsor in sending us to races and um travel and that sorts of things you know hotels so they pour a lot of money financially into the team but not necessarily into the individuals so what the highest earning athletes in the u.s will do which is still not very much money um their equipment sponsors offer them certain amounts for certain achievements so um you know your ski sponsor will give you so much money and then for your i don't know if you get a podium you get so much money if you get a top 10 you get so much money and i doubt though i could be wrong that any of us crest on our best year over fifty thousand dollars a year and um most years none of us are even close i mean like last year i made eight thousand dollars so that's well under the poverty line technically but it's a, it's a different planet right because you don't you know pay rent and you you don't really need to pay for groceries and you don't pay for travel um so it works but you're not exactly building up your a financial basis with which to continue your life later and you're also not necessarily um you know, you can't really put, you can only put Olympian on your resume once. You can't be saying that I was, you know, for the last 10 years that I've competed, Olympian, 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 you only get to put it once. So you're not, you're not building a resume for later. So a lot of us end up not screwed, but behind our peer group mm -hmm. where we were at when, when we graduated college, because we don't have work experience in a related field and um we just chose to do that because we wanted this life for now but when we're 30 or 32 or 35 or whenever we retire we you know have to go back to square one and and start again mm -hmm. and it's uh it's an unfortunate situation um it's just kind of a drag hopefully we'll be able to fix that sooner rather than later but what i've found is uh with the 24-hour news cycle um for a couple weeks people get really angry about it for maybe like like every two years you know, once during the summer Olympics or before it, once during the winter or before it, and then we kind of forget. Um, so that's why I do like to bring it up with everybody and really just hopefully that drip will get people to understand that, yeah, $8,000 a year, granted, yes, getting rent paid for, getting uh, groceries, all that stuff, that's fantastic. But at the same time, you can't really save, eight, eight, well, you know, you're still spending money on things, right? So like $8,000 a year comes down, um, you're probably having to pay taxes on that as well so you know there's that and you know so th there's a lot that goes into it and i appreciate you being very open and honest um and really giving myself as well as well as everyone listening a good um understanding of what that's like so i guess then my next question is what's 
next? Um, are you gunning for 2022? Are you looking to get into a career? And if so, what is that? I mean, got master in engineering isn't too bad. So, um, you know what, I guess, what is, what's next for Joanne? Well, I would say right now I'm just still wandering path on path, letting it um, take me where it takes me because we don't, um, our sole focus is not the Olympics. There mm-hmm. may be sports in which their sole focus mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. but I actually somehow doubt it um, because otherwise what would you do for three years? Like yeah. Every sport has competitions. So we actually have a world championship every year that doesn't have the Olympics. And I think that ends up being our focus mm-hmm. though, you know, depending on where you are and how good you are, maybe your focus is just to, to make the world cup, which is our highest tier of racing or to make the, IBU cup, which is the second highest tier. Maybe it's just that you want to go get over to Europe at all to race, to make a single team. Um, so right now I am pre-qualified for the world cup, the first three weeks of racing. And, um, we actually have this year for the first time since 2001, the uh, world cup is coming to Salt Lake city, Utah. Sweet. So we'll have a World Cup in North America, one in Canada, and then one in Utah. And I think a lot of us are really aiming for that race because we would like to be there and represent our country in our country, which is pretty unusual. Um, But we're, at least the women are in a little more dire straits than we have been because there's there's a ranking system of countries and it's only, it's only redone once a year. And we would just went down from four starting spots to three starting spots. So that's already less of us that can compete at all. And um, it's going to throw all these wrenches in, the, in the, the rankings because the relays are the most points and you need four people to start a relay, not three. So we either have to bring someone over for the relay and then send them back to America, which is feasible if you lived in Germany and you drove three hours and then you were done, but it's not really feasible that we fly someone nine hours over and then fly them nine hours back. So that's a, that's a worry that my chief of sport has to worry about and not me, but at the same time, that's my team and we would like to do better. And we had a really rugged time last year because of just dealing with Olympic trials and then people have to go to those races and then we end up missing Uh, races on the world cup and the world cup is how you score the points so that you can get better so you can start more people on the world cup so now we're down to three which is the first time that's happened in years and years and years and um we did it so that's kind of on us and it's kind (laughs) of hard so we would like to fix that before we hand it off to the next generation and that's our goal and it's a you know that's that's our um kind of embarrassment from last year I think and also a a stressor for us since there are so many women fighting for what's now only three starting spots Mm -hmm. on our highest tier of racing man that's crazy yeah wow um I guess what 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 else like let's let's say after biathlon which doesn't sound like it's ending anytime soon do you have um you know obviously again master in engineering degree you can do something with that like what kind of engineering i guess and what would or or what would be a a career path that you'd be interested in getting into um after everything so i actually my master's degree is in a really interesting cross field that's out of the college of engineering at the university of colorado but isn't exactly part of it and what Mm -hmm. we do or did um 
is it's called information and communication technology for development and we build things for impoverished regions of the world and more importantly we go into impoverished regions of the world and figure out what they need based on their actual lives and try and build it for them and then go back in there and see if that's actually going to work and then hopefully maintain it and, and keep it working what whatever it is whether it's a well whether it's a bridge whether it's a radio tower we you know we whatever um water reclamation system and the real the focus of my program was very much this idea that so many people try and do good and they decide that person a in zimbabwe needs radio and sends them a radio and they have never met them and they don't know anything about their life and they have no idea if they need a radio or if they even used it when it arrived. So um, a lot of what we learned, what we focused on was also person to person interactions and, and just being better than that, um, which was really hard for me because I couldn't really, I couldn't go to Zimbabwe. I couldn't mm. go to Morocco. I worked with this organization out of Morocco and I couldn't go there because I was trying to compete and, and train and you can't really do that. So my teammates, my team members, I guess that's confusing, not my teammates from US Biathlon, but my team members from these projects would go there and we would communicate and um, try and figure out how to do what we were trying to do. But I think in an ideal world, I would like to be able to travel over there and do that myself, but it hasn't worked out for me yet. Not yet, but something tells me you'll get there if you keep keep up with that. Um, you know, keep up with the faith, and uh, um, you know, you're trying to give back, so that's usually an easy thing to attach to um, for some people. And it sounds like that's something easy for you to attach to. And um, I'm sure there'll absolutely be the opportunity for you to hang out down there and, and help a bunch of people. So we appreciate you being on the team representing us, and we appreciate your uh, your thoughtfulness moving forward. So thank you for that. So um, Joanne, that's about it for me. I mean, I've had you on the phone for a little while now. I sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. One more time, Joanne Reed, master. Joanne Reed, USA Biathlon 2018 Olympian. Um, thanks, for, uh, thanks for hanging out with us today. Tell us a little about yourself. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode with Joanne. She is, as I said, very real, very open, very honest, and a very cool cat, and we always appreciate that. So thank you guys again. If you can, please rate, review, subscribe, share, tell your friends, give me feedback, whatever. Follow Joanne on all her socials. Follow us at ourathletes.us on Instagram. Um, I'd really appreciate it. Any love that we can get for these athletes, I am all for it. So thank you guys so much. I hope you have a wonderful day.